Come, linger, and join the conversation as we sit at the feet of Rabbi Jesus in the upper room. In this week's Upper Room Conversation, Brian and Giles begin a conversation about the remnant with a focus on the Old Testament. Welcome back to the Upper Room. It's Brian. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing well. That was a nice little delay there. Long pause. I forgot my name for just a second, but that's the kind of week that it's been. Hey, um, last week, great conversation around this that intimate moment with John the Baptist as he was really kind of wondering like if Jesus was going to be the kind of Savior that he wanted him to be. Or if... Anyway, I hope that we learned, and I hope you guys experienced Jesus this week in a way that you know, that you realize that he is who he says he is in every single way. We can't put him in a box. We can't tame him. We can't make him, we can't bend him to our will, but he's actually greater and has greater purposes for us even still in those things. I think, Brian, if you're like me this week, you know, going over that stuff last week really just sort of convinced me more and convicted in my soul more that Jesus is enough, that he is the end, as David Platt says, that he, you know, we don't seek out these other things through Jesus, but Jesus is the actual what we seek. He's the end result, and we we tend to lose sight of that. Uh, I think I do. I, I tend to lose sight of that way too often. And um, But, man, this week... Um, Interesting, interesting conversation that you've brought up and brought before me, and I'm really looking forward to digging into that. And, and um, you know, we made a commitment early on that, you know, we would always be using Scripture and we'd really always be pointing towards Jesus. And so even today as we get into this, uh, I want to kind of give a little precursor that we're, we're specifically focusing on the Old Testament today, and we're specifically looking at some examples through the Old Testament, and, and next week we will we'll tie in the New Testament, we'll tie in Jesus for these things. But, but Giles, you, you brought this topic of a remnant before me. It's been on your heart and on your mind, and looking forward to getting in the conversation. Um, so tell our listeners, tell everybody that's out there, what is the remnant? That's a great question, and first of all, you know, I want to share that Brian and I do talk a bit about exile, and as we, I was, I was, as I was researching actually exile, I discovered that no, really, what we need to talk about is the remnant. Um, so something, the remnant actually means something left over. Uh, and in as we look at it in biblical terms, especially in the Old Testament, it typically revolves around a small surviving group of people. So you'll see it mentioned many times, and it's typically a small group of people. So you'll see a destruction maybe of a people group or of a nation, but God always leaves. He doesn't, dis, he doesn't destroy everyone. He, the faithful survive, and the wicked are destroyed, and that's the, the remnant. And I mean, if we look even just at the beginning of Scripture, I'm just going to hit it right there. Noah. Right. The reality is Noah was a remnant, and it was a very small remnant, but God didn't destroy the wicked, um, didn't destroy the, the faithful. He destroyed the wicked around him. And so you'll see this progress through the Old Testament. And today, really, we want to talk about what does it mean to be a part of the remnant? What did that look like, and what was it that was different about those individuals maybe than the rest of the population uh, in that time, especially in Israel. So as we get into this, let's talk a little bit about some of the research that you've seen over the past three or four years coming out from Barna Research Group and others about this idea of young people that are struggling to find a place and to find an, uh, 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 an identity and to find a group of people that they identify with um, talk about that a little bit because I definitely want to encourage these young people 
that God may actually be using that to capitalize and using it and been ready to capitalize on that for his kingdom. So Barna, uh, David Kinneman, uh, he's one of the researchers for Barna. He wrote a book called Faith for Exiles. And as I said, we had been talking about exiles, but then this remnant, this remnant thing comes up whenever exiles are spoken about. And that was one of the things that he really sort of pushed in is that we now live in a place where there are people, even these young people that are really seeking this deeper understanding of faith. And if they don't get it, or if they don't find it somewhere, that they end up actually sort of walking away from it altogether. Um, but it's not a totally disastrous story. It's just that we need to be making sure that the remnant is being fed these individuals that have said, hey, I'm not really seeing God's truth in this. Can I see God's truth? And then um, some of the things we talk about today are actually some of the things that when we do our discipling are really sort of hitting on the same topics because we know that this is actually the people group that we're talking to in a lot of ways. Right. So, so just in, in not all of the things that we're getting ready to talk about are, they're not warm and fuzzy and roses um, for everybody. But at the same time, I did want to start out by encouraging, you know, those of you. And I, you know, I think, I think about those guys that went through discipleship with us just last year. I always have their, as we speak, I always have their faces in front of me like they're sitting around the table with me, but I want to talk to them for a minute and, and anybody like them that this is an encouragement for you that, that that sense and that feeling that you have of wanting to belong and wanting to be a part of something and really and wanting to be something that's, that's worthwhile and it's meaningful, that this is an encouragement that there is a way and there is a path to freedom. To, to, because there, because there's a tremendous amount of freedom that we're going to talk about in some of these, in some of these stories, and some of these examples. I don't think I could have said it any better. Because as we get as we get into this, what we will see is there is a very distinct difference between religious people in the culture, um, and that would be, you know, just I would almost say, I mean, J. Vernon McGee. What's he, what's he say? He's got a pretty harsh word for it. He says. Pseudo saints. Pseudo saints. Yeah. Pseudo saints. There's a very distinct difference between a pseudo saint and a true um, follower of Christ, which really the remnant. That's one of the major things uh, leading from the Old Testament into the New Testament is this faithfulness and this obedience in following God, and that you said so well about that. It's a hopeful message because some of the things that we may have seen or experienced are maybe not truly who God is and what his purpose and plans for our life. We may not have really experienced what those are until we actually turn to him, be are part of this remnant and can see really this deeper abiding love and relationship with God, which is always something that should bring hope. Yeah. And even before we get into some of the nuts and bolts of it, you, you brought up the flood, but I love the example even of Israel uh, entering the promised land. The, that did you realize that it's really a remnant of people? It is not the original group of people that that left Egypt under slavery and bondage. It's actually their children that got to enter the promised land. Everyone in that generation died, and so really, even the Israel that entered into the promised land and crossed the Jordan River into the promised land, even that group, even they were just a remnant, just a piece of the original family and the people of Israel. And I'll even nerd out just a bit on that. You know, when they left Israel, some scholars say it could have been up to 4 million uh, Israelites that had been enslaved and that were so, first of all, could you imagine managing that kind of (laughs) train of human people, like moving from one place to another? But the amount that arrived in Israel was a portion of that, was a lot smaller portion of that. And so I think that Brian sort of just hit that, like a remnant was actually created during that process. And what I can, if we, what I can imagine happened is that some of them were walking off and leaving the group as they went because it was such a burdensome obedience to God to go that 40 years in the desert. And then some, of course, died, you know, obviously, because that's a long time to be out there. Yeah. Well, let's start digging in 
about, uh, let's start digging into some of these characteristics that we want to pull out of scripture and present to people that may be listening. Um, first and foremost, you know, this, this idea that this remnant, this smaller group of people, this, this, uh, devout set aside, holy people, um, they are going to be obedient individuals. They understand obedience to the King. They understand how to follow, take their marching orders and follow. And I think that in order to have that, a great way to sum it up is that they have this reverence for, for the King, whether it be the Lord on high or whether it be Jesus as we see him in the New Testament as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But talk to us a little bit about, you know, some of these examples of, of, of obedience and honoring and revering God. Sure. I'm going to start with Micah 2, 12, 13, which as I read this verse, you'll probably recognize, you'll say, well, wait a minute, are they talking about Jesus in this verse? And this is prophecy. So uh, there's a high, you know, this is what this is about. And even though we're doing Old Testament today and really saying that we're going to focus on the New Testament next week, there are a lot of crossovers. So Micah 2, 12 and 13, I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I'll bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in the pasture. The place will throng with people. The one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. And Brian, I really think that speaks about following an obedience to the king, right? Well, just, and we've, we've talked even on the podcast before about this idea of sheep and shepherd is a lost, it's a lost analogy in our culture in the West. We don't see it, but a shepherd would tell you, you know, that they're, you know, the sheep are always listening for their voice. And, and I also know that, you know, that shepherd's hook and Whatnot. I, I see that. I know the pictures of of a shepherd walking out before, and the sheep just lined up in single file, going where he goes, and trusting that he's taken them in the in the right place to safety, to greener pastures, um, to provision, and those kinds of things. That's a great description of it because it is true. It's not culturally so relevant to most of us, but. This, yeah, this king, this shepherd that's going to pass through before them, the Lord at their head. And thinking about, I'm thinking even here now, the nature of a remnant, right? Is it smaller? And them faithfully following, not sure what's going to happen because the numbers, if you were thinking even in this situation, where are they going to and what is actually going to happen, but they're being obedient and that reverence of God makes them follow. Well, and let's go back to the wilderness too. You know, here this scripture here's in Micah, but let's go back to the wilderness, Israel in the wilderness, where God is going before them. He's leading them by a cloud and a pillar, and he is he is quite literally going before them. They are quite literally, again, as many as four million sheep following him as he takes them again to to those. It, it was just a great picture that I think. You know, e- even somebody who's not the the deepest of biblical scholars, you know, kind of knows that that story, and so it's a great picture to have uh, in my mind. So, Brian, I'm going to let you read a bit of Isaiah. I know that's one of your favorite books, so I'm going to let you read. We have a bunch of that, I think, through this process. Uh, we have a couple of those Isaiah verses, but I'm going to let you read this uh, next one about obedience and yeah. following God. Before I do, let me tell you, man, it's, it's it's really hard to read that scripture in Micah too, and and not start immediately jumping to jumping over to Jesus and his obedience but we're going to get to that we're going to get to that next week right now Isaiah 28 uh, verses 5 and 6 in that day the Lord almighty will be a glorious crown a beautiful wreath for the remnant of his people he will be a spirit of justice to the one who sits in judgment a source of strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate Wow, what a great picture too! That you know, I think I think as I as I was reading that, I think of when you th- when I think of judgment and I think of the battle. You know, I'm thinking of like police force, military presence, and as we 
as we chase this down, this idea of obedience and reverence to God, you know, a military force, a military force, they're taking their marching orders from somebody from the top down, and there's got to be a respect and an obedience or else you have chaos or else in this case, you know, people, people are going to get through the gate that aren't, you know, aren't supposed to be there. And a callback, you know, this, even this term, turn back, right? We, if we know this term turn, which is used so many times in the Bible as repent, right? I mean, and this thing about why do you do it? Because you're being called back to something. And this says you're being, these people were being faithful to being called back to the battle. So this repenting, this repentance, also in this obedience and reverence, this repentance nature of we don't leave, we don't get too far, we, we get called back. And I, I think it's just another, so many deep things in Scripture. Wow, and, I, and again, these pictures are coming to mind. Anybody who's listening who's seen the movie The Patriot, you know, at the very end, the lines are breaking and uh, things appear to be bleak and falling apart for uh, the revolutionary forces. And Mel Gibson's character grabs the huge big flag and waves it from atop the hill and gets everybody's attention. And I think there it is. Turn back. Turn back. Get back in the battle. Get back in the game. Turn back to God. Turn back to your leader uh, so that um, things things can move forward. That's good. And then we move into Haggai one twelve, and these aren't all the verses. We're just, again, as we always say, there's a million verses, but we're really trying to, uh, you know, narrow even some of these down, so that you can see the nature of who God is. And I think this really does a great job explaining this through the process. And this one, we used the word reverent earlier, Brian did, because you know I think when we hear a word in here this term fear, fearing the Lord, fearing God, we sometimes get a little, it might tweak us a bit, but this is this reverent fear, this nature of knowing who God is and who we are in relationship to him. So I'm going to read this verse, and then we're just going to talk about it a little bit. Then, (laughs) I get the great names too, then Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, Joshua, son of Josadic, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, again, just like we say we've lost the idea of the sheep and shepherd analogy, I think we've lost the the idea of a king. You know, I mean, my, my sons and in high school and he did a paper recently on toxic masculinity and unfortunately most of us have probably experienced this where our dad or grandfather or some male in our life has abused this place of power and caused us to fear in the in an unhealthy and in a wrong way but but there is a healthy there is a healthy fear of of a good leader, a healthy reverence of a good leader, and I think a great story that I that I always think of is, and I think and I think actually um, David Platt. I was gonna, I was actually gonna say you just shared a story that you have been reading in David Platt. I think that yeah. really relates to this. If you want to share that, well, I, hopefully I'm talking about the same one. But I was thinking, you know, David Platt in his book Follow Me talks about an invitation that he got to go and visit the Oval Office. And he looked at his calendar and he said, I, I can't do this. I've got, I've got sermons to preach. I've got counseling this and I got a wedding on Saturday. And, and he really kind of came to this idea that n- no, when the president of the United States invites you to the Oval Office, you drop everything and you go. And that is out of reverence for the office. And I think that we're, I, you know, I talk about we've lost this. In in this last presidential, in these last few presidential cycles, we've lost this. Like, yes, you can disagree with the president, and yes, you don't have to, you don't have to like all of his policies and stuff. But at the same time, there is something healthy about a holy 
not holy is not maybe not the right word, but about a reverence of the office, of the position that a police officer holds or that a mayor or a governor holds, even if you didn't vote for them. Mm-hmm. And it's so true. And I think even in our culture and our in our faith, we've we've become so individualistic. We don't think about these authorities. And if we don't have an understanding of an authority in the temporal, I'll just. Yep. How will we possibly have an understanding of this eternal authority, which is so much higher than all those things? And it was that same book, but it was about the cab driver. It was such a good story you shared about if you slap me. Oh, right. If you slap me, what am I going to do? I'll throw you. And then the cab driver's like, I'll throw you out of the cab. Yeah. And then he says, well, if you slap a police officer, what's he going to do? Well, he's going to arrest me. Well, if you slap the king, what's he going to do? Well, he's going to kill me. And this kind of reality of not that we have a, you know, through Jesus, our Savior, we that who took that wrath, we don't have to worry about that necessarily in the moment. But that's the kind of nature of the escalation right. of what it means in reverence and what it means when we go against it. Right. At. So that would be the. So as we wrap this up. You know, that's, you know, there, there we're talking about, you know, the opposite of this obedience and the opposite of revering and fearing the Lord is, is disobedience and is chaos. And it's me being, it's actually me putting myself on the throne to be able to make those decisions. And, and, you know, guys, we struggle this thing, even reverence for us. I struggle with that sometimes and with, with God. And I have to put myself in this aspect of obedience, following, reverent fear of God, and repentance, which is the recognition of that, of who God is. It's hard. It's hard, especially, and I think, and I think, in Western church culture, there is this seems to be this movement of Jesus as your friend and as your, which is all true. But he comes with all of those other things as well. And we were talking this morning, or, or at some point this week, where sometimes he spe- sometimes he speaks to me as king and authority. And I told you guys the story about the him as banker and owner of everything. Sometimes he speaks to me as uh, a teacher and an instructor and to grow me. And, and other times he does approach me as my as my friend, my, my dad, my Abba, you know, to crawl up in his lap and to hold me and comfort me. So we, we have to kind of move in and navigate those kinds of things as, as he does. So, yeah. And so we're going to move into the next section too. And I think it's a natural, as we go through these, it sort of has a natural progression. So these individuals who have shown themselves to be obedient, faithful, reverent fear of God, um, it ends up in scripture, they get set apart. They actually become outsiders in a lot of ways, even with their own people. They become exiles and they become a portion. So this is where we're talking about the smaller size. So through that first part, you can see, well, wait a minute. The first question you may ask is, well, that first one means that there are a lot of people that weren't being obedient to God if we're moving into this thing about being set apart. Well, and I told you the story this morning as we were prepping about I went to a high school baseball game last night and all these boys you know Bryce Harper a few years ago you know grew his hair out all long all long and of course he's a, he's a great professional baseball player he's with the Phillies and he's really a young phenom and so young baseball players like that's who they want you know it's not Tiger Woods they don't want to be Nolan Ryan like you don't even know who that is anymore it's it's Bryce Harper it's this guy that you know that went to that was homeschooled so that he could really advance his baseball career and all that kind of stuff. He's incredibly talented. So all these boys are growing their hair out and their hats are falling off and it looks awful. Uh, drives me crazy. Um, and my son tells me I'm old fashioned, but, and we had this conversation about, so literally, literally a group of, you know, so say you got 14 kids on a high school baseball team, you know, eight of them have these, this flowing long hair flowing out the back of their, like they call it the flow even, I think. And, and so you know, you get, so you got eight people, and somehow they're trying to set themselves apart, but somehow they're all like each other. Like, and so and so, it's this idea that hey, if you want to be different, 
if you're a young person right now that, that happens to listen to this and hear it, you want to be different? Try following Jesus. You want to, you want to really set yourself apart? You don't become an influencer on Instagram. You become an influencer by getting connected to the master influencer. And so, yeah, if you are obedient, it's going to be a natural progression that you're going to find yourself at some point. You're going to find yourself and Giles, we can both, you and I can both attest to this. You're going to find yourself with a foot in both worlds and you're going to find yourself with a white flag in your hand and, and deciding, am I going to wave the white flag and say, I give up or am I going to take, take, take this other foot out of, out of the both worlds? Am I going to push my chips all in and and really seek to push in to be a part of this this remnant this this smaller group of exiles and outsiders. It's as if it's a lean in every single stage. I'm obedient to God. Okay, if you're obedient to God, and this is really even we we share a tool we won't talk about it today, but we'll share it sometime here on the podcast. But called the five capitals, this really actually runs you through them. The first thing is is that you have to have this reverence to God, which is the top capital. The second thing is. Because of that, all the other capitals start to become impacted. The second highest capital is relationship capital. Let's read what we're happening right here. They get set apart. It actually has an impact on your relationships to follow and be obedient to God. In a lot of times, good way. I'll tell you why in the first verse, but sometimes in a negative way. Um, So in the first verse I'm going to share is Genesis 45, 4, 7. Then Joseph, Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. So this is the story, remember, of Joseph. with the, He had the, the cloak. And now do, be, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So there is a natural winnowing that is taking place here with the famine, number one. Number two, in this one, relationship capital actually benefited those brothers. Yeah. Because because of God's love to Joseph, I believe his brothers were saved. Because his brothers were sort of dirtbags, and you know they they had sold their brother into slavery. That was putting it kindly. That's putting it kindly, right? <laughs> but this actually shows, though, that God had a desire to keep a certain remnant, and Joseph was part of that remnant. And through that process, he was able to save his family, um, and they were able to survive when a lot of again a lot of the Israelites were dying in famine. But it was not a faithful people group. Man, isn't this? Doesn't that really parallel the Moses story as well? And both both Joseph and Moses, this this idea of becoming part of the remnant, it was not their, it was not by choice. It was completely. Well, in this case, it, it seems like it's it's the act of his brothers, but really the salvation part of it is, is that is that God invited him into the remnant. God chose. God chooses. Who's in the remnant? Sometimes, not just sometimes, but probably most of the time. We can get into that later. But he, um, you know, he's definitely uh, active and moving in the world around us, despite some of the, some of the circumstances. And what we know about Joseph was his <laughs> strict adherence and obedience to God. And you see now how this worked out, and actually. He even uses then the word as he's talking that says, God sent me ahead of you to preserve this remnant. Well, it's just incredible. So let's move into Isaiah 10. Um, I'm going to let you read your Isaiah again. Isaiah 10, verses 20 and 20 through 23. In that day, the remnant of Israel, the survivors of Jacob, will no longer rely on him who struck them down, but will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. A remnant will return, a remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. Though your people be like the sand of the sea, Israel, only a remnant will return. Destruction has already been decreed, overwhelming and righteous. The Lord, the Lord Almighty, will carry out the destruction decreed upon the whole land. Hmm. So here he is, it's this call, right? I mean, how many times? Well, 
all the prophets. I mean, the purpose of the prophets was, the purpose of the prophets was is, is that the people, you know, Israel, Judah, Judah, they were they were veering away from God. They had a king that was veering away from God, and they weren't hearing from God. So God had again, just like Moses and and and, and Joseph again, God has to intervene. God has to intervene because we're not listening. So he acts on his behalf. But but what's so interesting is that over and over and over again, it's not everybody. It's not everybody will hear, not everybody will listen, not everybody will understand. The remnant is just a, it's a, such a natural state of, of, again, of that obedience to God and how that will set you apart. The prophets yourself, you were talking about yourself, their whole message was about being obedient to God. Come back to God. And, and their whole message of the people that actually were saved was always to the remnant because the other people were just constantly being disobedient. The whole prophet was sent there for the purpose of trying to bring more people into the remnant, but it was always this active choice going the other way. And here you see destruction had been decreed. Destruction, and here's the thing. It's not like there wasn't enough chances. I think we sometimes read the Old Testament Mm -hmm. and think for some reason, oh, man, God is really harsh, but, man, he was merciful because how many times is destruction for this just blatant disregard for who he is, this slapping in the face of God that constantly his people were doing, that he showed such mercy, and that he even gave them the opportunity over and over again through the prophets and all of these other things to turn back to him, yet it was always still just this remnant line running through. The invitation is there for everyone. The response is up to us. I mean, that's our part. That's the part that we play in and of, are we searching for him? Are we interested in obedience? I mean, of course, you know, any psychologist out there is going to tell you, you're obedient to something. You know, you're, you're, whether you, whether it's your addiction to drugs, you're obedient to something. You're slave to something. That's, that's the nature of what we are. And so that, you know, this fact that that true life and provision in the promised land and freedom from from Egypt and protection in the fiery furnace is all provided through God. All of these things are provided through him, through this being set apart and in obedience to him. I got to tell you, I'm starting to struggle here as I'm starting to look ahead about where we're going because I'm realizing something. I may be at a point with the first one where it says I'm obedient to God and I'm following God. And I may be at that, and then I come to the next one and says, okay, as Brian was saying, even in our own lives, we've seen that there's been some struggles with some of these things about being set apart and how that's going to be, you're going to look a little different. And, you know, then we're going to move here into now, I think this is a big one because we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but I think it's really big because I think it's very possible that you can move through these first two this one though is when things start getting tough or messages from god start getting hard to hear do we want to do those things as we were sharing a couple weeks ago of the things that tickle the ear and do we want to turn to the false prophets because it's like okay god i'm set apart i'm obedient but obedience is relate false teaching makes obedience a little easier because it may be a little it's not really maybe calling for the true obedience to god right so, you know, that remnant that is obedient and that's, and, and I would say even too, you get obedience. And then as we talk about being set apart, I mean, I think for a lot of us that there's, there's a cost with that. We, we, we assess the cost. The cost may be friendships and relationships and appearance to people, you know, to, to our peers and so on and so forth. But you're right. This is where the rubber meets the road because I'm going to weigh that cost. I'm going to weigh that cost of being in exile then comes the false teaching. Then comes the enemy. And this remnant is going to be willing. They've weighed the cost. And they're going to be willing to hear this false teaching and stay the course. I could say that following God, I'm going to church. I could say, set apart, I go into this building. People know that I'm a Christian. I got a Jesus fish on my car. I can get to this false teaching, which... I want to share something. False teaching. 
false teaching, what was considered false teaching over and over again, was not leaders in the world no. sharing conversations. It wasn't fake news in that sense. False teaching is only used as a term constantly for men of, who claim to be of God teaching falsely. So I want to clarify that because as we talk about, I go do this, I do this, this is, as Brian said, this is where sometimes we get to the point where we don't really know about what is obedient and we don't really know about being set apart if this false teach, if we run up against this false teaching and we don't know who God is. Well, and I think even too, I mean, I think even for us as we use this form to try to share God's word with you that we're, that we're unpacking and unfolding for ourselves, don't don't think that we don't struggle with right. this and that, and that the enemy doesn't attack me on this. But I think here's a big, big difference. Here's a big, big difference that, yes, you and I are sitting across from each other and we're having this conversation and we're willing to share it with other people and invite them in. But the truth is this. Obedience is, is, up, to, is up to that person. Like, what is it? What is that small step of obedience that you need to take today Maybe it's something that I have overcome. Maybe it's something that doesn't that I don't struggle with. Maybe my ministry is different than yours. But what is that? And so it's it's anything that's pointing us away from from that relationship with Jesus. You know, really f- can fall into this cat- category as well. And this other this other nature of that right is you're right. This could be very community based. I could go through and say, hey. This guy ahead of me tells me that I'm being obedient to God. Yep. Hey, I'm hanging out with this group of people, so I've been set apart. But when we get to this false teacher, it's like you have to know the truth. It's on to you. To be able to expose. It's suddenly on you. It's on because you. Because it, it, right, it's on you. And so everything from this point on as we go through this, you're gonna re- all of you should realize this is where it really does get tough because it's on us. We can't just be depending any of these other things earlier on. You actually could have depended on a person this false teacher says mm, only if they're sharing the truth and it's it's still dependence on god yeah and it, and i think for us we've said repeatedly that you know we we what happens to us now is is that we go to those people whether it's craig groeschel or uh robert coleman or richard foster you know some of the other people teachers that that we've that we're being taught by Jay Vernon McGee, I was thinking, I was just thinking of him again in this one, and, and he's played a big role in actually my development. Um, and he passed away in '88. Um, but you know, th- as we do that, what we find is is that actually it's those people that are confirming, confirming what what we what Jesus has already taught us in His Word and in our daily act- uh, activities with Him. But, but yeah, this remnant, you're know, not going to be fall, uh, swayed by false teaching. How about Jeremiah verse 20, uh, chapter 23, verses 1 through 4? Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep in my pasture. I think this sounds a lot like some of the things that, that Jesus said mm-hmm. in the Gospels. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend to my people. So here it is again, what Giles was saying. These are shepherds that are tending to... God's people. This is the the people of Israel. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil that you've done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock, those that were, you know, this this is me speaking, this is not a scripture, but those that were unaffected, you know, those that were unwavered and unaffected by your poor leadership. I will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend to them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. What a great promise from our God. And this is maybe the ick factor you were talking about when we were talking about this younger generation. Yeah. This is where they suddenly realize they're sort of exiles or a remnant, is they're going and they're hearing things, not just in the churches, but in the world around them, all these things that are claiming to be true, and there's almost like they have a switch, like these people that that God would have addressed in this situation, a switch that's saying, something's not right here. Yeah. Something's not right here. You may be being misled. And so we understand. 
God's saying this part of the process, but isn't it a wonderful promise that God says, hey, even if right now in this moment you do not have an under-shepherd of me speaking truth into your life, I will come and get you. Oh, yeah. And then I will set this person into your life who will do the things and be obedient to me and will be a good under-shepherd to me. Well, and stop for a second and just think about this concept of remnant that we're talking about. It doesn't say you're running solo. It is a community. It is a it is a group of people that are hearing the same message that are that are moving in the same direction. Possibly, you know, we all have different gifts and, and abilities and skills and and things that we're being called into. But at the same time, it's it's a it's a common mission and a common group of people you're, that you that you find that you that and we're find and we're so lucky we're so blessed to be finding them in these small pockets. The temporal message that we sometimes hear in regards to comfort and security these are the kind of things that may tickle our ears. But let's just ask a couple questions. First of all, what's that got to do with obedience to God? Right. And second of all, what does that have to do with being set apart if if nobody in the culture recognizes anything different? And this is something we've heard, right? Yeah. One of the statements we hear a lot, and I, I may have used it a couple times in this podcast, is I don't want to go to my parents' country club. And the reality is there is something there that they're like, they're just my, my parents, they see their parents. And whether I don't think it's always necessarily true, and actually I think it's probably a lot of times not true, but they they see this thing where it's like, I don't see any difference between your life and these non-believers or these other people over here. And so there's a struggle. And so this is what we're talking about. There, there's something that they're seeing about like, how is a how is a believer supposed to be different? And I think it leads into our next point, which says the remnant and the remnant will not conform to the world, which you can see leads immediately after you hear this teaching, you realize, no, that's not God's truth. God comes and rescues you. And then it's like, oh. But you ask different things than the world ask. There's a there's a different choice out there, and there are there are so many things that are going on um, that yeah. And, and I've said I've said repeatedly I've said repeatedly that the the deeper into this being a disciple of Christ that I get into, the deeper that I get into it, the the more I understand that if I'm experiencing something or God's or, or I'm, I'm feeling a tug in my heart and it is in the exact opposite direction of everything I've ever been taught, I'm paying attention to that more these days because I'm realizing, I'm realizing this 401k social security. I mean, just that word security. There is only one place that I can be totally secure and that I can be totally provided for for the rest of my life. And what's so interesting is, is that he doesn't, like, I don't, you don't, as a, as a follower of Jesus, you don't wake up the next day and suddenly you're irresponsible. Like, it doesn't happen that way. Because because Jesus was incredibly responsible. God has got these stories that we've been telling of God rescuing people out of exile in Babylon and out of slavery in Egypt. He is incredibly faithful and responsible. No, no, no. I'll give you manna from heaven. No, no, no. I'll give you a double portion so that you don't have to work on the Sabbath. I will, I will, I will, I will. And... And so it's these worldly things that just creep in on me, that just creep in on me, and and, and it's 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 hard. It's it, and it's hard. And and so here's here's a little brief con- here's a little brief confession for me, right? As we as we prep this for you know not conforming to the world, I sit I sit before you today and I say, the company that I work for, I have a four hundred one k, I do. I do it because my company is giving me, they, they give me a match. You know, they, get, they, they, they give me money for participating in it. 
I do it. I consider it part of my salary and my compensation. And I do consider it part of the way that God's caring for me. But I, I do not put my hope in that. Mm. It does not, it does not rule the day. I am not stressing about putting more in. I would not be concerned with taking it out and paying the penalties if God was telling me to do that. I do it because there's it's it's there and it's available, but but there is there is not a single part of me that thinks that thinks that that just because I'm doing that that when I turn 61 or 65 that there's going to be a penny of that that hasn't been eaten up by losses in the market or 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 you know you know market crash or 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 something some other calamity or whatnot and so and and so guys I I mean I do struggle with I do struggle with this I struggle with this concept of that there are areas in which yeah I do I do participate in those things but I think that if you know me you'll find I don't talk I don't talk about it I I can. I can engage in a conversation with someone about the market if I need to meet them where they're at and talk about it. But, but in general, you, you may participate in some of these things because it's wise and God has God created wisdom and he is the source of our wisdom. But that doesn't mean that my hope is there. And it doesn't mean that that's like my entire focus is to, is to, you know, retire with seven figures in my 401k. I don't plan on ever retiring, you know. I will. I will no longer work with Anthem, but, uh, but I don't. You know, I don't plan on ever retiring. And, I, and so I'm. I'm preaching to the choir. I, I know. I know Giles is. Has no, made... I actually want to. I actually want to. First of all, I want to thank you for sharing that because it's a very real struggle. And I want to be honest myself, guys. When we get into this, we're talking now at this level. First of all, you're not going to hear this very often. No. I'm just going to be honest. And I'm talking in Christian circles. You're not going to be hearing this very often. But what we're trying to do is we, because it's such radical knowledge of who God is and because we've been attempting to, even in our <laughs> terrible way that we're at it, and believe me, guys, it causes stress. We've been attempting to trust more and lean more into God in this thing about this cross-cultural, this non-conforming mindset of the world around us, which is bearing down upon all of us. Me, Brian, all of us, I'm sure, in such a pressure cooker of, well, these are the things you're supposed to be concerned about. And then we go maybe even on a Sunday or we hear a message maybe that preaches the same thing. No, you should do this. This is about you getting these things or doing these things. And it's, and a lot of times we even hear it as being a faithful steward. Give, t- give 10, save 10, live yeah. on the rest. Right. And what we're trying to say, though, is, is this what... Is that what God tells us to seek? Or does what we read now here in Amos 5, 4, 6, does this maybe sound a little bit outside of what we may consider normal, but it is what God says. And it's this, and I'm going to do some translation here. I'm going to try, Brian and I are going to do some translation maybe in some common terms because we're going to be using some names here as we go through this, but we're going to replace it maybe with things that you guys understand. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek, do not seek Bethel. So how about I say, do not seek Hollywood. Yep. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not go to get your MBA. <laughs> do not journey to Beersheba. Don't go to Disneyland. All right? And then it says, for Gilgal will surely go into exile, and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them, and Bethel will have no one to quench it. I know, man. As you were saying that, you know, I was thinking. I love, I love the Hollywood analogy. Perfect, great. But what about, you know, even in my story? But what about um, the New York Stock Exchange? Exactly. You know, the the this, and and even even the the attack on the Twin Towers was a direct attack at, at the wealth, and the image, and the idolatry of money in our in our country. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Vegas. Um, we were down on we were down on Bourbon Street. Uh, you, you know, we in our tour of, of New Orleans a week ago. Um, 
It was during the day, mind you. There was, there was nothing open. It was like 10 o'clock in the morning. Oh, believe me, Amy was worried. Yeah, she was she really was. concerned she was going to see something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, we, we, we did tour the French Quarter stuff. But, but anyway, you, you get the point, right? But, but what a great picture. Hollywood, New York Stock Exchange, um, the, the things of this world. Social I mean, those, media. Social me- oh, it, oh, social media. What a great, great idea coming into your head there I, that, that's that's fantastic why are you going to this place to seek the approval of other people seek me and live There's or only, not and be devoured or be devoured and that's a and and of course you know we're hearing and we know we know the hurt and the harm mm. you know that those things are causing uh, in this in this younger generation uh, so how about micah five seven um about this remnant not conforming to the world. The remnant of Jacob Jacob, will be in the midst of many peoples like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which do not wait for anyone or depend on man. The remnant is going to be the in the midst of all kinds of people like showers on the grass, which do not wait for anyone or depend on man. Like So this remnant... Depend on 401k, right? Right. Depend... Replace de- that with what you depend right. on. Right. Somebody's going to give me money. I'm not going to turn it away. <laughs> You're not going to turn it away, right? But it really it boils down to dependence. Dependence. Those are great verses, and they are tough, guys. As we said, these are tough. You know, as we get down, now we're going to yeah, get into yeah. one that yeah, the, I don't yeah, the, even know what. <laughs> yeah, the, the next one's fun, and and we're, and we're coming up on the end here, and we're just going to leave you with this one. But we would be remiss if we didn't at least mention it, and 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 I think even. Even as you, I think I'm going to just be honest, right, Brian, if you made, if you progress in your faith this way, this last yeah. one is a, it's a natural, it's not something you need to seek. It's actually a natural progression. It's of, a consequence. It's a consequence. And, of and we, we, you know, we misuse, we misuse the word consequence. Oftentimes, you know, as you're being raised, you know, we talk about it always being a negative. And in this case, it's just a consequence. It's just a natural progression of events. If you stand your ground, if you stand your ground, and if you choose to be a part of this remnant that is seeking and depending on on Lord, and Brian said it earlier, and I just want all of you to just be thinking about this next week because when we get into the New Testament, oh yeah, you're gonna see. But let's talk about the where we've come so far. Yeah, is this not who is this not who Christ is? Did he not? Is, did he not be obedient to God all the way to was the cross? He, right? Was he not set apart from others, mm-hmm. you know, and pay the consequences of it? He certainly was not swayed by false teaching because he says, "What I am the truth." Mm-hmm. Um, he certainly, we know, did not conform to the world, which constantly was putting him into dangerous conversations. And we'll go over this all next week. But you guys can see that God already was showing that this the savior of the remnant who that was going to be and we see that lived out in Jesus Christ. Yeah, but 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 we can't we can't have that conversation and we're here just on the on the heels of Easter 2021 mm-hmm. and we can't have that conversation about that here's the deal. Let me ask a question. Let me ask a question. You know, and of course, you guys aren't here to answer this live. I think I know enough of you, but you know, we know of young people that are spending Thursday, Friday, Saturday night in the bars, hooking up with different people, recreational use of drugs, addicted to social media, alone. I mean, depressed, don't have an identity, don't understand their future, don't feel like they're being led. So let me ask a question. You're already suffering. Mm -hmm. Why not suffer for something that actually brings life on the backside? That, That this suffering, this suffering that Israel did in the wilderness was had an end of the promised land and God's total provision and, 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 and army in battle in battle and, and of food and health and wealth and 
So you're already suffering. Like, and so that's the question. Like, aren't you already suffering? So why not, why not choose this other path mm-hmm. that's out there? That's so good. And so I'm going to start with Micah 4, 6, 7. You know, because about the remnant, the remnant's going to, if you're in the remnant, the remnant will face suffering. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame. I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away, a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. So even in this suffering, God says he's going to gather them, right? But says they're brought to grief and they're lame. The nature of, right, I, I'm lame. I'm literally suffering. Can't do anything. And I can't work. I'm suffering in every moment. Yeah. I take a step and I suffer because I'm lame. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, man, just what a great promise, though, that that he is, that he will call us back. Uh, if we'll just, he is calling us back. He is calling you back today. Ezra 9 Uh, verses 8 and 9. But now, for a brief moment, the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant and giving us a firm place in his sanctuary. So our God gives light to our eyes and a little relief in our bondage. Though we are slaves, our God has not forsaken us in our bondage. He has shown us kindness in the sight of the kings of Persia. He has granted us new life to rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins, and he has given us a wall of protection in Judah and in Jerusalem. Wow. I mean, I don't know what... I don't... None of us can even comprehend slavery as as something that we live under. And these individuals, again, isn't it interesting, though, in both of these things about grief and pain and lameness and slavery, it's the thing about Lord God being gracious, Lord God coming with kindness. So even in suffering... Our God is there. And in this verse, Ezra, they're praising him because they so it's interesting. He has granted us new life to rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins. And so they're still slaves under the king of Persia. But they're looking at these things, even these small little things that they are these things that they're that they've gained favor in, in their suffering and praising God for them, building the wall. Judah and Jerusalem, their homeland. So, you know, what a neat, neat place to kind of wrap it up because, you know, really that verse in Ezra is talking about, it's going back to that eyes to see concept that, yes, we could look around us and say, well, the house of the God is in ruins. Hmm. Or, the wall of protection in Judah and Jerusalem has been crumbled for years and destroyed in war. Or we can choose to seek God and he opens our eyes and says, no, look, there's like five people over there working on the wall. And I get encouragement from it. I get encouragement from the, the community and the remnant of people. And hey, hey, look, look. Oh, look at this part. This part of the wall is finished. Well, this part never even got knocked down. Mm-hmm. And how he's constantly revealing that in his, in himself and in, and in the person of Jesus to us daily if we would just seek him, seek him and, and seek the movement of his spirit. I'm going to finish up here with, I think, a beautiful visual. Uh, I think which we will then lead in next week as we talk about uh, the New Testament and the remnant there, but all of this leading to what helped, what, how did they persevere? How did the remnant persevere? As we walk through all of these things and we see all the things that the remnant faced and the struggle and the hating of other people towards them and all of these things, what made them persevere? And then I think of this beautiful image of Jesus opening that scroll in Isaiah and think about all the things he's saying. It's mm-hmm. all related to the remnant. Yeah, I've come to set the captives free, the slaves. I've come to heal the lame. Yeah, All of these things that the remnant faced, Jesus came and said, I came to fulfill those things. And then we'll explain, Jesus has come the one time, but we wait on a Savior to come again. And so as a remnant, that's what we'll talk about next week. 
But it's a beautiful thing to see how this all led to that point when that scroll was open and Jesus gave his purpose. Yeah, so if you guys are you know, listening to this and tuning in, we first of all, we appreciate it. And, and I think we would do it even if you weren't uh, because we, we get so much out of it and it's become a time for Giles and I to sit across each other and reconnect each week. And, but at the same time, the encouragement is always get in the Word, read what it says, search for Jesus, ask Him to reveal Himself, and He will. He's faithful and He will, and He'll do it. And ask Him, what a great prayer to pray this week. Can I be in your remnant? Can I be in that? And He just sits there waiting. He's waiting for people to ask that question. Thanks, Brian. It was really great. Yeah, thanks for putting this together, and thanks for the conversation. Next week, we will uh, we'll, we'll really focus this in on Jesus.